and welcome to The Sweet Spot on a Farm, episode 46. If you just randomly tuned in and I have no idea what this podcast is about, then The Sweet Spot is all about natural health. I talk to natural health and fitness professionals and anyone whose business and life's mission it is to help us support our health as naturally as possible. And today's episode is all about stress, or rather, de-stressing. And I'm happy to welcome a local wellness entrepreneur and holistic treatment provider, Mary Jane Burns. Hello. Hello, and thank you so very much for coming to speak to me today. Let's dive right in. Mm -hmm. Um, I did say we're going to talk about stress, and I believe that is exactly the reason why you relocated from city. Is that right? It, it is, in a kind of a roundabout way. That When I was, Michael and I were, were living in Belfast, we were both chefs at that time. And unbeknown to us, everyone used to say catering is such a stressful industry, but we enjoyed what we were doing. So I didn't realise actually back then how stressed I was. Michael developed a bad back, so that's when we decided to relocate to the coast. We're in the beautiful village of Killock here in County Down, which is just near Newcastle. And it was when working in this area in the catering industry, maybe the jobs were less high pressure. And I was still suffering from my IBS, the irritable bowel syndrome that I had. And I would have expected that to have cleared up or sorted itself out, but it hadn't. And But it was because I wasn't really didn't really know how to deal with that stress back then. And looking back on it, it actually goes further back because when we moved to Northern Ireland, to Belfast when I was 12 years old, um, I was lucky I started in secondary school and it was a new young principal and she knew what dyslexia was. So unbeknown to me, looking back on my life, that stress had probably started, although I loved school and enjoyed primary school and I enjoyed secondary school, it was probably very, very bad for me with the concentration on exams and I couldn't cope with that. And school was an awful place for me and then that transferred then into the catering industry, which is very high pressure in a kitchen and if something goes wrong, you know, you really have to think on your feet. So I had been carrying that stress for a long, long time. Because it, it does um, soar, doesn't it? It, it piles does. up and piles it up. Does. And if we, if we don't realise that yeah. we are stressed and just keep dismissing it yeah. or not pay attention to yeah. it or just no, don't I would do anything have about it. Total denial of it because I'd lived with it for so long, really. I didn't recognise it as stress. And I was thinking it was just purely a physical condition of uh, my guts not digesting. I knew that was worse when I was anxious, but then I was maybe blaming it on the dairy, on the wheat, on the garlic. I was always blaming it on the foods because your stomach would react when you've just eaten, when you're under stress, because it's in that many knots it can't digest. But what I wasn't taking into consideration was what was the mood in the kitchen like in that day. Was it the chef was in a bad mood? And that I was one that would withdraw and be quiet and wouldn't shout back, but was taking on board that responsibility of something that was my fault, even if it wasn't. And it was only through then, it was some, and again, because the last job I had was school meals, and it was lovely, because no, it was in a primary school, and even though it was a satellite kitchen, it wasn't a high-stress job that I had been used to. And it was a friend of mine that kept saying, well, go for reflexology, go for a treatment. And I was a bit like, oh, I'm a chef, I haven't got time to do that. Why would I want that? 
and then when I went to the doctors over because the condition was just getting worse and worse and was interrupting on my life and when I'm under stress I lose weight so I knew that that wasn't kind of healthy for me I was becoming too slim or, or using the you know milk drinks and things like that to keep the weight up and it was when I went for my first treatment I didn't know you could be that relaxed and I, the first symptom that cleared up for me was I was sleeping better. I was getting a sound night's sleep. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I suppose curiosity got the better of me because I suppose with the dyslexics, we like to work things out. It may not show on paper, but the intelligence is there. And it was actually that practitioner advised me. She said, well, why don't you go and do training? She says, I can tell you curiosity you need to get this out of your system and go and do that sort of first foundation course. Uh, she says, but I wouldn't be surprised if you become a practitioner. So what was the treatment that you got? At that stage, it was something, it was called kinesiology, the muscle testing. Ah! <laughs> and actually, of all of the ones that I've done, it was probably a good one to start off with because it's actually quite science-based. It's based on chiropractic principles and again, I was very, very lucky with the school I went to. Remember the principal I men mentioned? Mm. And I, so I got help with the O-levels. So I passed more exams than was expected. And I was maybe naive or immature. So rather at that age, so rather than throwing me into college or tech, they, she advised that I stay in the school and do my A-levels. Um, even though I didn't get English uh, language or the maths, which are the two important ones. Ironically, I was studying English literature. I did home economics, which at that stage was of no use to the catering at all because it wasn't the teacher wasn't particularly brilliant. <laughs> and the but the other one I did was biology. So I knew my physiology, I knew my anatomy, and all of that when it came to the kinesiology. So I wasn't overwhelmed with that subject because I already had my biology. And could concentrate on this strange thing that was not medical science and you know uh, and when I come from kind of a family that would have science in it and it sort of maybe turned my life upside down at that stage because with the gardening and everything we knew about the herbs and how they help with the health but this kind of weird holistic complementary medicine thing was a complete eye-opener. Actually, let's go back a little bit. Tell me about the gardening, because you do have a little bit of a gardening background from mm -hmm. family. And that, obviously, it must have been very, very handy for you in the catering industry, but even more so now. Yes, yes. Because, well, I suppose my grandparents in England, they would have had an allotment. And my parents, we, gardening was as always important to my mum. So we always had properties with gardens. And I suppose I was that child of nature because I wasn't good at the studying, and you'd, she would have found me out in the garden, you know, rummaging around and looking at worms and knowing what the beetles were and knowing what all the different flowers were. She was a good cook, so we were growing things in the garden to cook with them as well and, and use them as well. So I had the plant, really, from growing the seed and knowing and understanding whatever plant it was, whether it grew from seed or it was on a tree or a berry or a bush, I knew how to grow them. The catering that I did... Back then, I was lucky they treat they taught nutrition in a very deep way as well. The vitamins, the minerals, the why it's important to put butter on your carrots for the the fat soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K, which vitamins were water soluble. 
So I knew how to cook with them. And then now the way on absolute full circle, the aromatherapy oils. A lot of them, the ones I use are herbal. So from the catering, I understood why. Do you know why, uh, you know, after dinner mints for um, peppermint? Yeah, they're great for digestion. Yeah. So you, you take peppermint after your meal to help with the digestion. So I knew that from the catering. So now I also know from the aromatherapy perspective, uh, peppermint oil is good for the stomach. It's good for the digestion. So all of those oils, I know their properties in uh, from from plant, from cooking with them, why we combine them in certain different ways, maybe in Europe, maybe slightly different ways in China or the Indian or the spices, why we use the different spices in different combinations because of the chemistry of them from the food perspective. So it's a fascinating kind of journey. And it just I suppose it keeps my brain interested and happy that I can now use pass on that information to people. I'm not just using those aromatherapy oils in that order because I've been told to in the book. I understand it from a, the, the different areas as well. See, it's really funny how now in the 21st century we're only rediscovering what our ancestors knew yeah. very well, the importance of food yeah. and herbs and, and the importance of mm-hmm. what we eat, how it makes yeah. us feel and how it makes us healthy. But yeah. at the same time, and you already touched on that, it doesn't matter how healthy our diet is, if there is a stress or anything emotional going on, the brilliant, yeah. healthiest diet in the world will not keep us yeah. healthy because yeah. the stress yeah. has such an overpowering yeah. effect. Yeah. And I'm living proof of that because it was a healthy diet in all the kitchens I was working in. I was always gravitated, gravitated sorry, to the ones that were making things from scratch. I was, and again, I was never in the restaurant or the hotel trade because I couldn't cope with that. So it was usually was kind of like what they call like industrial canteen foods. But some of that was maybe in the likes of the Ulster Clinic, UTV and different places where you were uh, catering from the staff on a day-to-day basis. So there were more stable backgrounds. But all of the places I worked in, they had the high-end food as well because that's what drew me, you know, day-to-day cooking. It's brilliant, but I love the... The function work, but not in the hotel uh, environment because I couldn't cope with that. So when was the point when you finally decided to have that initial treatment and to deal with the stress? Because uh, it was getting really quite severe at that stage because the move here hadn't helped in the way that I thought it would have. And I said the jobs were maybe less intense because I also like working in care homes and nursing homes. So, again, that feeds into what I do now. Uh, I'd gone to the doctors and I think I have to thank that man for his bad attitude because that's what pushed me in the direction of holistic therapies. Um, IBS back then, he more or less said to me, there's no such thing. I'd been reading too many women's magazines. And would I like to go for testing for Crohn's? Well, I, maybe me, I'd already looked into IBS and I'd already looked into Crohn's and I knew the different, there are similarities, but there's differences. And I, back then, I would have still been a real kind of like needle phobic uh, through bad experiences in childhood through dentistry. And there was no way they were shoving a microphone up this end and down that end to see what my gut was doing. And I, and he more or less says, well, it can't be that bad then. Wow. And then when my friend said, look, go and 
that's when I thought, well, I'm not that chef that hasn't got time to go for therapy anymore. I'll try this out and see what happens. And as I said, that was a whole, you know, amazing, like a, a turnaround then. And because I was working in school meals at that stage, it gave me the time to maybe study in the afternoons and the evenings and get my case studies done. And gradually, when Jamie Oliver thankfully came in and uh, sorted out the kitchens to be healthy eating, Northern Ireland, I think, was never as bad as they were in England. But there were things in the uh, on the order sheet that I would would never have got and our kitchen was healthy eating. But when that sort of came in, I knew that the kids were being better looked after. And then when the board it brought in more rules and regulations, and I thought, well, no, you're restricting me now. We always <laughs> leave me alone, and our kitchen was maybe more healthier. But then before they started sort of bringing in the healthy eating, but that was me. My our kitchen was maybe the exception to the rule, and that's when I thought, right, okay, I, it's time now to be helping people from the other side of their things, knowing all the nutrition that I do, but also knowing what ill health's like and why it's not just about that one thing and that tablets don't work for certain things. So was kinesiology then mm -hmm. the first holistic yes. therapy that you went yes. to study? Yes, it was. I had trained actually in tandem because I'd done uh, uh, some Reiki as well. There's a, a local girl that was really, you know, with that energy thing. And, and again, that was very strange to me at that time. So I had that. But the kinesiology in some ways was good because it was very kind of medical and wasn't kind of what I would call fluffy. You know, <laughs> and again, there's ways you can prove, you know, and I now know that, yes, there's different things at the fluffy end of the industry and there is ways of working out what's going on. And I think modern medicine now is becoming much more joined up with what was back then. It was called, I didn't, they called it alternative medicine back, back then more often because it was the an alternative to, you know, your doctor and things like that. I never really liked that that term at all because you need both you know you come to me with a broken leg or a fracture you know I'm no good to you <laughs> you know you need a doctor to, to put the bones back in I'll help you deal with the stress and the anxiety that that's caused but there's certain conditions where no you don't need me you, you definitely need that poor old NHS but our NHS is actually collapsing under the weight of uh, stress and anxiety that it was never built to be there for you know, back in the day, it was for chronic and acute for people that couldn't afford to go to the doctor. And at least if they had a bad accident, at least they could get looked after. But in this day and age, it's it's weighed down by its own success. And we're not maybe taking responsibility or we haven't been taught, as you were saying, in our ancestors' days when they knew how to maybe use the different herbs and, you know, look after themselves in that medical cabinet way. Uh, we've lost that. I think people... NHS is an absolutely wonderful thing, but I think people maybe... Lazy is probably not the right word, but I think it people just got a little bit too reliant on the NHS and forgot that we can yeah. be responsible yeah. The, yeah. for our own health. It removes self-responsibility. Yeah. And I think, thankfully, now the NHS is realising too, at one stage they dismissed, they treated the head and the brain and mental health as one thing and the physical body is another thing. 
They are now joining those two together. Finally. <laughs> Finally, they are realising. Well, of course, the head and the brain is important. It's where a lot of the hormonal and chemical changes happen that then go through the body. So, of course, it's a, a one unified unit. And they're starting to kind of treat people more in that way rather than the disjointed manner of the past. So... When you did your kinesiology and your um, your Reiki, what what was the next one? Goodness me, what was the next one? Or did you start practicing right away? Um, I did. I was practicing with the kinesiology. I I've always I've been drawn to quite a few of the modalities, and of course, the the different treatment therapies, whether they're holistic or not, they naturally overlap. Because you're using similar methods to do, but we only have the one body. So a lot of, again, again, what would have used to be called kind of um, Eastern medicine, which uses the acupressure points and the acupuncture points and those energy points. Uh, and they're as relevant here because humans are built the same way, you know, other than maybe the colour of your skin, but that's, that's dependent on, you know, what country your heritage comes from and how much pigmentation you need to protect yourself from sunlight. It's nothing to do with with anything beyond that. So we're built the same. So I I have always liked uh, modalities that use those acupuncture kind of techniques. Now kinesiology does. There was something called EFT, the emotion freedom techniques does. Uh, dissolve and resolve emotions that I do. A lot of that will be pressure points and things like that because they're very, very effective. And it's the way we, in the past, we would have been taught those techniques from childhood of where the, the different points on the body are to help settle things down. Did you know when you went off to satisfy your curiosity about kinesiology that you would eventually end up um, taking that on as a profession? Or no. was it literally just, I'm curious, let's see what's out there? It was curiosity, and let's see what's out there. And there was things that the that practitioner in Downpatrick could tell me, and there was no way she could have known. And she wasn't claiming to be a psychic or anything <laughs> like that. And she was talent, working it out from, have you heard of Backflowers? Rescue Remedy and the Backflowers, they're like tinctures. I know them, I never used them. Yeah, and they, so they were very good and it was from that. And there was different bits that she was able to say, does this happen to you, do you get that or whatever? And I was like, Ooh. and that I think that's how she knew my curiosity because she must have somewhere, bling, like, she know that you know what was that about how did she know to blend that with that and yes that has helped and at that stage because she was still practicing in Downpatrick she had as I said she said to me I believe that you will go on to be a practitioner in in kinesiology and I said to her well that that's a ridiculous idea and she says why I said well we both live in Downpatrick area you know and kinesiology it's can be a bit strange in the way it's it's the muscle testing and I had said to her, well, two of us in the one town. I said, that's not going to work. And she turned around and she said, we're two completely different personalities. We will attract completely different clients. And if you set up next door to me, I would support you and it wouldn't affect my trade. Now, if in the catering industry, I had gone to a cafe and said, hello, I'm going to set up next door to you. Do you mind? <laughs> they would have been furious. <laughs> and it was just when she said that I just thought that's a world I want to be part of mm. for someone to be supportive 
of me training in the exact same thing that she does and not to be working alongside her, but saying, that's okay, we're different and we will both survive in this world and we know we will be able both we'll be both be able to make a living out of the same thing because we are different. Somebody told me well, I think it was actually Dervla from the Cultured Club that the reason why people in this particular industry are so supportive of each other is that because they all understand that they have the most difficult job in the world and that's to keep uh, people healthy. Yeah. Naturally. Yeah. So, or the other way I look at that, it's when you're successful, it's not difficult. And again, it's helping people with me. I tend to teach, you know, I don't just kind of do the the treatment and say, off you go. Uh, I would sort of explain when I need to and send them off with the back flowers or the herbs or the different lists and explain why. But for me, what it is, and I realized from the beginning, you need a constant flow of people coming to you. Because if I'm as good as I say I am, they get better. They don't need to come back unless it's out of choice or as a, as a kind of a pamper treatment. And yes, I can do pamper treatments, but that's not primarily the industry I'm in. I'm helping those people with core issues because I know how awful that is. But unless they're recommending... You know, I don't. There's people I haven't seen in years, unless I bump into them and they say, "Oh, thank you for that treatment. That was lovely. I'm better now." <laughs> <laughs> I guess and I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I guess that's the best compliment you can yes, get. Yes, it is. It is. But it's like, oh, okay. That's why the diary slacked off. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you know you're doing yes. a good job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, when was the actual point that? Because I know you. Apart from having a treatment room and, and, and helping individuals, um, you run, is it a non-profit organization? Yes. Tell me about that because yes. I think that's a really important. Yeah. Um, yes, I've been self-employed for oh, quite some time. And, I, and yes, uh, the, holist, the Holistic Health and Wellbeing Company is a CIC. CIC stands for Community Interest Company. And it's in the same category as uh, charities and social enterprises. But I didn't want to set up a, as a charity because you can be on the board, but then naturally it's mostly based on volunteering and things like that. So you wouldn't get paid for what you would do. You'd be expected to volunteer for the charity. And I thought, well, it's hard enough industry to make a look, carve a living out of, no, I'm not going to do that, thank you. Social enterprise is is more in the middle, uh, but a social enterprise, uh, you would see some of maybe the cafes and things are run through social enterprise. It's maybe helping people back into work, uh, whether it's through prison services. It's, you know, a lot of people maybe with Downs and autism would work in those cafes. Uh, but But again, being a supplier and running your own company is more difficult in that industry that format as well so with the uh, community interest company uh, I wanted to be a provider because I'm good at what I do but I also wanted to run that company in an ethical way so that's how that came to be set up so the what a social the CIC so does um, the profit that you make once all your costs are covered and that can include me charging a fee for my time that that profit then goes back into the community 
So it's a way of giving back into the community as well as making a sustainable living for, from what I'm doing. And then that's, that means I can bring in other practitioners as well. That uh, I'm not trained in reflexology. I'm not a deep tissue massage either. So I can bring in people that I know that are coming from the same ethos as me and sort of increase their pool of people that they're working with and increase what the Holistic Health and Wellbeing Company can provide out into community. And so what exactly you do you do with that company? Do you, because um, I believe you, you help not only in individuals, but mm-hmm. you help groups of people yes. in workplaces yes, and things we, like that? Yes, that, that, that's because we can run workshops as well, which I had oh, I'd done as well, even when I was just set up as self-employed as a sole trader as myself. Because, the, you know, the things like the hand massages or information on the back flowers or the reflexology or the aromatherapy oils and things like that, I like to get that knowledge out there. And again, as you were saying about the herbs and the cooking and the catering and all of that knowledge that I have, some of it is it's useful for people to know, you know, if they've got picky eater children. Again, with the dyslexia that I mentioned at the beginning, I know what it's like to be that child that is in that kind of fog and doesn't think like other people. And if it's parents... Um, don't necess- you don't necessarily have to have a your parents with dyslexia to be dyslexic. It could have skipped generations. And so if that parent isn't a dyslexic, it's very, very hard for them to understand what's going on in their child's head. But I can, because I've been there. And I can say to a child, do you get that fogginess coming down? The things, you know, it's almost like I describe it as the shutters coming down. And I said, do you know what that feeling is? And... And they will go, yes, 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 I, I know what that is. And I can be like, well, here's a technique. This this will help with that. Their grades may not go up as fast as the parents would like, but I know that child is now happier in itself and not feeling like that. Because I remember it was in a kinesiology course and then with the Dissolve and Resolve Emotions as well, both of those courses, is where something of that past or that what I've been carrying lifted and it was really you need to, for me I was lucky I was in those supported atmospheres because it was really 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 quite emotional to suddenly realize why it had been so much difficult for me and my peers that could be sitting next to me in school and hadn't taken their spelling book home with them and got 12 out of 12 and I had spent three hours in tears with my mum and all of that and had really genuinely done my homework to get none right. Or get one right. Get three out of twelve. Well, that was a good day. Teachers didn't see it that way. But it was because of that. And again, the more panic that I was in, you know, when you're in that fright flight, of course you can't concentrate the same way. So I was in that kind of frightened mode in school. And that's where you couldn't concentrate from. And couldn't it was in my brain, and I was lucky with that principal that recognised that. And when I said yes, I did the A levels in those subjects, we knew starting those courses, the odds on of me passing my A levels were not great. And halfway through, she'd applied to the board to get the dispensation for the dyslexic side of it. It gave you half an hour to read the paper and just feel sick for longer, but hey but in the a levels there was no dispensation in the way the papers were marked so it was highly unlikely that i would 
pass those exams. And she said, I'd rather Mary Jane continue into the second year. She will know those subjects. And further down in her life, whether she passed them or not, will not be relevant. And wow, how right was she? That's incredible. I think this kind of stress that can be caused in childhood and carrying further Mm -hmm. and further into adulthood, I think it is really important to... um, to be able to meet and discuss and be treated by someone who completely yeah. understands. Yeah. So actually the work that you're doing may really change some child's yeah. life. Yeah. Um, without the parents even realizing yes. how much of a help you are. Yes. Yeah, because there was one little boy and he was probably primary school and we'd been doing the different techniques with him and the mom was a wee bit like, okay, this isn't going anywhere, this isn't going anywhere. And I says, why? And she says, well, his mouth is still, you know, not great. And I said to her, well, it's going to take time. These things take time. I never promised an overnight cure. And it's not an overnight cure. But it is releasing that fog that he feels better. And he, I taught him different techniques. And kind of he and I, he just looked at me. And I knew that he knew that I knew that he was going to use, keep using those techniques. And he gave me that look of... Don't worry about what mom's saying. Mm. I know I'm okay. I'm getting emotional now. But um, he understood because he was the one feeling it. And I I have no doubt that his grades or his enjoyment of school would have increased and it would have made that difference. But you can't, you you know, and again, he was probably so behind with his maths, it was going to take some time for him to catch up. The same with me, I still have the dyslexic tendency of not being able to spell properly, but it doesn't bother me anymore. And this was, and when I was at school, it was pre-smartphones and and word search and all, and those kind of things. But yeah, it, it just makes a difference of your thinking. And it was just when you see that in, or and again, there's a teenager as well, and you just see the look on that face. That's enough to know that the job has been done. And further down the line, who knows? But they have got self-help techniques. They have an understanding in a different way of whether it's the back flowers or the oils or the which pressure points help them. And to be fair, I think that the parents in that situation are probably going through different kind of stress. Oh, they are. Yeah, they are so anxious. And especially with a child going, you know, we are so exam-orientated in in this culture now as well. So, yeah, of course for them, for little Johnny or little Sarah or whoever it is, they are desperate to help that child. But it takes a while for me Yes, I no longer suffer from the irritable bowel, but it took a while, although I knew how to release that stress out, it took a while for my body not to be stressed and for that to be not my automatic default. That takes time. But looking at that child saying, no, it's okay, I'm going to keep using those techniques, I know eventually they're not going to get those stomach upsets in the same way. Yeah, but then um, the parents, will, will will they not get stressed as well? That's another yeah, thing. Yeah, it can be, but hopefully that, with, especially with those two children I'm thinking of, I know that 
they got it and they will they would have continued for themselves and hopefully their mums will have seen the improvement. There's other, there's other times where the mum has been in the room with them because these are children that are under kind of 16 so the, the mum is in the room and there is instances where the mum has learnt that technique and so you can see her light bulb moment coming on. And to me that's in some ways that's the more important one if you can get it is the mum. If you can help the mum or the dad that they've got They've understood it and they're using that technique. That has a bigger ripple effect. But if for some reason they didn't quite get it or uh, didn't buy into it in the same way as the child did, you know, but that's okay because I know so those kids will continue on with that technique. But yeah, if you can get, get an adult to sort of, or the, a family to sort of change their, their way of thinking. Now, stress does come from different areas of our lives you can get stressed over different things and often we don't realize we're stressed is there a difference between emotional or psychological and a physical stress or does it or blend into one does our emotional stress physical stress get stored the same way grief does and or traumatizing experiences Mm -hmm. do and then we carry it through our body and then we have to and are there different techniques when it comes to releasing the psychological, emotional stress and releasing the physical, the body stress? It's the same. Because the body has reacted in that physical way for a very, very good reason. It's trying to defend us in some way, but that can become ingrained. So when the emotional stress of the head comes in, it triggers the physical or vice versa. That makes sense? Yeah. Because we're, we're, we're the one body, we're made the same way. The head and the body are all that one unit. So if the chemicals that are flooding the brain... Have you heard of the... Let's see if I can get say this right. I sometimes... <laughs> the, where it's the fight, flight, fright and the freeze response. Okay. So that's when something frightening has happened. The body... This stems way, way back. It's back to the reptilian brain. Which is at the back of the head, and this is way back when when we were say cave people or forest dwellers or and we were out in the environment and we were living um, amongst wild animals and other tribes that would have been unfriendly. So if I'm sort of out in the forest and I'm picking berries, and I spot a tiger in the distance, or a lion, or a whatever, anything that can run faster than me that's quite frightening and I need to get away from that tiger in whatever way I can so the body has three choices it either run if it can outrun that creature it will so that's the flight we run away we run as fast as we can sometimes we need to freeze and that is so that hopefully the tiger won't see us moving and we've got fruit you know like a rabbit in the headlights Mm -hmm. so we're stuck we're frozen we can't move and the other one is we want to hide so, and when we need to hide in all of those things, if we need to run, we need an empty gut so we can run faster. And if we want to hide away from that animal, we also need an empty gut so it can't smell us. So the body, excuse me everybody, and I do hope you are not eating a meal at this time, if we are in that fright response, the body wants to evacuate. It either comes, let's say, up through the mouth... <laughs> and it rejects that last meal or it whizzes the, that meal out to the other end because we're basically the shape of our body we're the shape of a donut 
The <clears throat> mouth is hollow. It goes down our throat. The stomach opens up into a large bag. Small intestine, large intestine exit route. So we're hollow through the middle. So the body will empty itself one way or the other. So that's where the stress symptoms come from. With me, I would have got nauseous very quickly. I would have felt sick, so I wouldn't have wanted to eat. And my stomach was in knots. Or the IBS, irritable bowel. Um, and again, excuse me, it would have usually, it could have been whether you start suffering from constipation or a rapid bowel movement. And they're very uncomfortable. But when you think that is a natural response of being in a frightening situation, which was in a bad kitchen or in school or wherever it was, the body is doing what it needs to do naturally. But then when it's doing it for a reason that we can't see because there's not a tiger, so we're not associating it with an immediate danger. And with maybe being uncomfortable in school or in a kitchen, you end up with a trigger switch that switches quicker than somebody else's because the body's on high alert. So my high alert is looking for dangers when they're not there, maybe compared to someone else in a different situation where they're not maybe on high alert. They'd be high alert and maybe in a different scenario. So that's why different people respond differently in different scenarios because it's where our triggers are that we trigger when there's nothing scary going on. But I could have walked into a kitchen and seen the look on that chef's face and an instant thought, oh no, it's going to be a bad day today. And you can walk into an office and go, oh no, here goes. Or, oh, it's going to be okay today. So we've already psychologically spotted that. So therefore that almost predetermines the way our day will run because we've spotted that. We're, we're walking on eggshells the whole day. And that's not good then for the digestion. And we're running those chemicals through our body, which isn't good for the digestion either. And it can affect your memory, your thinking. It can affect all sorts of different things. Some people sweat, some people don't. You know, it's, But that it's that basic response of do, do we want to run or do we want to hide or have we just frozen? That is true. That's actually what I talked about to a few people especially in regards to the cold water therapy mm-hmm. and the Wim Hof method when um, we these days in the modern society we tends to be living constantly with a tiger present in the room we're constantly stressed yes. by the tiger who's it, not there yes um and and the fact that different people dis- respond differently to to stress triggers um, does it mean that you your approach would be different with each client? Would you use different technique for de-stress? That, that can vary. Yes, you're right. The techniques I'm using, you know, they will all work for all people because that's the way we're built. But as you say, on that psychological level, so sometimes that's why if someone's coming to me for a treatment and it's an hour's treatment or the dare is a two-hour treatment lying down um, but on when a client comes to me for the first time they get half an hour free at the beginning of their treatment so that's so we can work out sometimes it could be what mood you're in are they in the mood where they just need to lie down and for me to do things to them or do they want to learn a technique and so they've got we've got that and the evaluation sheets and things so I don't want to be taking money when we're doing the evaluation sheet and some of the treatments need longer uh, longer forms to fill in because I need some things I need more details than for others 
So we're getting that done that that's not taking out of the treatment time. And usually in that time, uh, you can sort of work out with them as well. There's no point me pushing them in one direction as well. So we've usually I've usually worked out by then maybe which is the best treatment for them. And if there is a way that I can sort of gently steer them towards one or the other without forcing them, I can I can do that. And it's giving them, again, the choices of when they come back, okay, which treatment that we have today. I have clients that come back to me regularly and I don't need to ask them that day. And they come in and they, they'll just say, oh, can I have the raindrop technique aromatherapy massage? I'm in the mood for that today. Or can we use some of the acupressure techniques because something's really bugging me but and I need to kind of release that out in that way. So it's they're starting to learn then what their psycho- psychological nearly said that psychological uh, preferences are. But that but yes, the, the techniques will work for everybody but again there are maybe certain personalities that find it easier to go with one of the techniques than the other. It, sometimes it can be ten. It can depend on how have you you know left-brained person or a right-brained person. So that's where someone's more academic, seriously kind of academic, or more on the arts and crafts side of things. Where are they on that uh, range as well? That that can impact on, and that can vary according to what mood we're in as well. Like me, that when that curiosity bit, mm. I needed to know why. And this whole conversation leads again to one thing, the importance of personalized treatment, individual approach, and with functional medicine now breaking the barriers between the traditional and holistic approach, we are hopefully aiming towards personalized medicine. And that's what it's all about. We're all different. There's no one size fit all, and there's no one treatment fits all. And Mary Jane is yet again another passionate practitioner who came into this field from her own experience, suffering from IBS due to untreated stress, um, a scenario which I'm sure will resonate with many of you. And stress seems to be the core issue of many chronic as well as some acute conditions. And it is definitely something we should not underestimate and yet many of us do. So if you are suffering from stress, look up holistic practitioners in your area. Find one you think may be right for you. Um, word of mouth is a good place to start. I always find personal recommendations to be the best guide. Um, sometimes trying a couple of practitioners is necessary to find the one that you feel comfortable with. And the good thing is that holistic practitioners are all over the country now, so finding one near you should not be difficult. And if you are an employer and would like to help your staff to address stress better, why not running a workshop and learn a few simple techniques? Again, it should not be difficult to find a practitioner in your area um, who would be willing to run a workshop, and many of them do that on a weekly basis. If you'd like to contact Mary Jane whether as an individual or for the purposes of running a workshop, you can do so through social media at the Holistic Health and Wellbeing Company, CIC, or at Mary Jane Burns. Um, we talked about catering and the use of herbs, 
which inspired me to share a very simple herbal pesto recipe with you this time. Um, at this time of the year, sage and oregano are fantastic herbs to use because of their antiviral and antibacterial properties. And with this particular recipe, you can use either sage or oregano or both. Or you can throw in a bit of rosemary, you can throw in a bit of um, mint if you wish. It's very, it's very easy to play with and add bits and bobs that you might like but for the basic recipe you will need three small bunches of oregano a tablespoon of hemp or sunflower seeds i personally prefer hemp seeds the shelled ones you might want the unshelled ones for the crunch or sunflower seeds for the crunch it really depends on your personal preference then you'll need one large clove of garlic pinch of salt and olive oil and that's all you just blend all the ingredients together in a food processor. You can also use pestle and mortar if you have it and if you have the time and skills to do it. I don't. But um, I used to have a pestle and mortar and I do have to say that if you make pesto in pestle and mortar rather than throwing it into a blender, it does taste better. If you're using a blender, just blend it all into a smooth or coarse paste. It really depends what texture you prefer. And then store it in a glass jar in a fridge and use it whichever way you like. Spread it on crackers, mix it into steamed vegetables, mix it into soups or stews, or use it as a dip for raw vegetable sticks. Sometimes I even add in um, a pinch of um, a pinch of seaweed or if I have dried nettle seeds. Sometimes I can do like half and half oregano and sage. It really depends on you. And if you do like the pesto idea, you can find it on our social media, the sweet spot on a farm, on either Instagram or Facebook, where you can actually find all the recipes shared on our podcast to date in the file section um, and download them in a handy PDF format. Um, there are also other pesto recipes available on our Facebook page and a few more are also included in our cookbook, The Sweet Spot, Feast Your Way to a Healthy Gut. If you are interested in buying that cookbook, um, you can do so either at Amazon in paperback format or um, you can order it via a personal order by messaging us via social media or emailing me at thesweetspot at gmail.com. The book is also available in digital form on iBooks. And if you enjoyed this episode, you can support us by rating us on iTunes, submitting an honest review, liking, sharing, commenting on our social media, and perhaps recommending other topics that you'd like covered and guests that you'd like to hear on the podcast. And remember to tune in for the second part of our de-stressing episode with Mary Jane Burns next week. Have a great week. Find a way to relax that works for you and stay stress-free and healthy as much as you can. Until next time. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot, Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. <laughs>